Welcome to the Storyform podcast. Storyformed is here to celebrate the soul-forming power of imagination, good books, and beauty in the life of your child. Hello and welcome to the Storyform podcast. I'm Holly Packiam, and today I'm excited to be joined by Jamie Showmaker. Are you there? Jamie? Hi, Holly. Oh, hi. I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. <laughs> okay, great. great. Good. Well, how are you doing, Jamie? I'm doing well. Doing well. It's um, finally spring. I think everyone in the country has been waiting on spring <laughs> to yes. finally arrive. And in North Carolina, it's finally warm and beautiful, and um, all the flowers are blooming, but of course, all the pollen is in the air, so that comes comes with the territory. We're used to it, but um, I'm just so happy to see the um, see that spring is here and, and feel the warmth that we've all been waiting on. It's just been such a long winter, so yes. I'm, I'm excited that this, this season is here. Good. Yeah, we, we have... Today, it's about almost 80 degrees here, which is so yes. beautiful. Yeah, we're nice. finally seeing some blooming. And yeah, we've been having, actually, probably this, in April, we've had, like, the most snow we've had this winter. So Right. I know. Yeah, it's been crazy. Yeah, that's what yes. I'm seeing. It's just been insane, all of the winter weather when it's supposed to be spring. So that's right. yeah. Yeah, I think I've also yeah. been having a bit of spring fever just with our routine and um I think we've talked about before a little bit about the Myers-Briggs but I'm an ENFP and so this um the perceiver part of my personality really starts to come out I try to rein myself in with the, I have some J but I try to rein myself in by normally having a routine and a schedule and sticking to that and I really need that even though that's not so natural to me but this time of year mm-hmm. I find that everything in me wants to get out of that routine and that normal and just have more time for just just change of structure or travel or more more free reading things like that right yes I totally understand I am an INFP I don't know if we've talked to have we talked I about this how did. you're an ENFP I can't remember yes yes, <laughs> yes so I I struggle with what I call the pull of the P all the time. And um, I just have such a hard time with the discipline of structure. I, I constantly want to keep all possibilities open to me. And, and I, I'm just excited because that's definitely easier to do in the summertime. So I'm glad we are headed into that season for sure. Yes, I can relate. Absolutely. (laughs) Another funny thing that I've been noticing at our house is, well, occasionally we have this, I think it is the same woodpecker, but it just loves our house. And so I don't know if the springtime is making this woodpecker come out more, but um, right outside of our house near our master bedroom is the woodpecker's pecking into our house. We've had to do all these things to try to get him to go away. But just before we started to record, I heard him again. So I was talking to him outside of my window, (laughs) like, go away. (laughs) So anyway, um, well, today we are going to talk about imagination. And this is something that, um, Jamie and I talk about often and um, love to write about on storyform.com. We're going to be talking about how do we cultivate our child's imagination. And so I I thought it might be helpful if we kind of define what we're talking about here, because I'm sure a lot of us have various opinions about 
you know, what that really means. So I think, Jim, you can weigh in here too, but when I think of it, I think of it as the ability to form a new, you know, that part of our brain where we can form a picture in our mind of something that we haven't experienced, that we haven't seen before. So we're the ability to think of new things. And I really believe that everyone is born with an imagination. I think some people feel or say, I don't have an imagination or I don't have... I don't have creativity in me, but I really believe that God has given that to all of us and that it is something that needs to be cultivated and it can be cultivated. And, um, but it just, it also, it also looks different, um, for each of us. So Jamie, do you have thoughts about that? (laughs) Well, I have always personally had a very overactive imagination. So (laughs) even when you just say the word imagination, mine springs to life. And I begin to like conjure up images from stories and movies. I remember song lyrics and I see pictures of art that I have loved in my mind. And like I said, just the word imagination makes my mind overflow with the wonder of all that I have encountered. And I I read that a child's imagination is at its peak around about age six or seven. And then it slowly begins to like wane as the brain develops more of those concrete operational ways of thinking and the child becomes just more aware of people and societal expectations and all of that. And I'm not sure that mine ever faded all that much. I I sometimes wonder if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So I don't know. All the things you're talking about are good, but I think that's, that is a good point that you make though about, you know, it is, it is possible that an imagination can be a cruel thing sometimes it it seems like, or Mm -hmm. that, if we are filled or our children are filled with things that aren't good, then sometimes that can be a means of destruction in people's lives. Right. Yes, absolutely. We can talk a little bit about that. I think we should talk about that as we, as we go on to the podcast. So yes, for sure. Well, some of you might, this might not be something some of our listeners that, you know, you do think about much or you're wondering, you know, why, why does this even matter? So Jamie, what do you think? What, why do you think this matters to talk about this? Well, I, I think that the bottom line is that you have to have imagination to be able to know truth at all. I think I think sometimes when we think of imagination, we think solely of artists or those in you know some kind of creative capacity. Um, but even those things that we think about as solidly scientific or materialistic, um, they all begin with imagination. Even like Einstein, Newton, Galileo, they all had to imagine the possibilities before they could test them empirically. And so, you know, don't dismiss what we're talking about if you if you have a child that's more scientifically minded or or something like that, because imagination is still required to even know that kind of truth. And I think that we have to have imagination in order to know the truth about humanity as well. Um, there's no way that we're ever going to experience every single human emotion. Um, we won't encounter every possible circumstance or situation in our lives. And imagination is required to be able to develop empathy and, and understanding. And I refer a lot on the podcast to um the moral imagination. I talk a lot about that. And this is just a little bit of what I mean. I've never, I realized I've never really defined that when I talk about moral imagination. Um, but it's just, it, it, what, it's what helps us to understand what it means to be human and the truth of how the world works. And so, um, you know, it's important. Imagination is important to understand our humanity 
And um, of course, the biggest reason that imagination matters is that you have to have imagination to know the truth about God. Hebrews 11.1 says it plain. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Bible actually says it, that faith comes by imagination. Yeah, that's it's such a good point, Jamie. And, I, and, and strangely or sadly, maybe in some Christian circles, it's almost looked down upon, I think, mm-hmm. to have too much of an imagination or, you know, we shouldn't, um, you know, I've known known groups of people or ways of thinking that would say, you know, don't, don't, th- that could take you down a bad path. So don't entertain right. that, you know, or don't read fairy tales or fantasy mm-hmm. or things like that. Um and but I think if there's a connection that's missing there, you know, that it, we have like you're saying, we have to have an imagination to imagine God and right. what God has done and what he's doing. So mm-hmm, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And some of the other things I've thought about is that um, uh, like some of the benefits of having a strong emotion is that you're able to like you were saying, Jamie, you're able to to imagine a situation and possibly imagine it to be to be different than it is. Um, it's in our faith, you know, we, uh, having faith is such a key component of it. Um, we can't always see what God is doing around us, but we know he's working. We sense it. Right. We can't, you know, see things always changing, but, but we can sense it. Um, I think the Lord has given us spiritual eyes to see his work, even when things don't look promising at all. And we imagine, you know, his redemptive plan working. Like we know that he's making things new and he's making things right. And um, sometimes we see glimpses of that. And sometimes we just, we we believe it. And we know that even if it's not happening in front of our eyes now, that one day it will, that one day things will change, that one day we'll see righteousness and justice. Um, But as we're saying, you know, we all need, well, I'll need imagination to even envision these these stories of the Bible that God right. has, has um, given us through various uh, authors, that this whole grand, amazing narrative, that we need imagination to see that and to see and believe that we are really part of that story and God's continuing story and to have the ability to imagine how what God has for us, what is He calling us to? Um, this holy imagination to believe that we have a calling and a vocation. Um, and so, I think if we can't imagine this story that's already taken place, how can we see our part in it? Um, how can we really play our part well? Right. Yes. Absolutely. Um, Jamie, how do you think that? How do you think we can help cultivate this in our kids' lives? Well, we're story formed. So the first thing that we have to mention, of course, is by reading to them. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, we cannot possibly encounter every human emotion and situation by personal experience. And so one way that we can do this is through stories. Um, Through stories, we can experience worlds and wonders and things that we could never possibly see in real life. And they you know, stories fill our minds with images of places and people and possibilities. And those images then can become like compost um, out of which new ideas and new insights can grow. And um, I have to say, you mentioned this earlier, and I'm so glad that you did. Um, I think stories like fairy tales and folk tales and fables are particularly helpful in this area. Um, stories that take place outside of time where good is good and evil is evil. Um, Vegan Garoyan has an excellent book on this called Tending the Heart of Virtue that I highly recommend. I don't know if you've read yes, that, Holly, or not. Yes, I would it's, definitely yes, recommend it's it. Yes, it's good. It's so good. It deals with 
the ways that certain specific fairy tales um, help to cultivate the moral imagination. And, and back to Einstein, I mentioned him earlier, there's a quote attributed to him. I'm not sure of its validity, but it goes something like, if you want your children to be intelligent, read them fairy tales. If you want them to be more intelligent, read them more fairy tales. And I, I, I say, if you want them to be imaginative, read them fairy tales. But honestly, I think Einstein and I are saying essentially the same thing here. Mm-hmm. You know, about yeah, fairy tales and stories and and the way they form the imagination of children. Yes, yeah, yes. I, I know. I didn't. I didn't read very many um, fairy tales as a child, and so that's something that I've really enjoyed. Even as an adult, I feel like it's a way to expand my imagination as an adult, and I'm I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity to give those to yes. my children now. So me too. Me too. And I want to add, it's not just storybooks that cultivate imagination in children. Um, when I was a child, I was just endlessly fascinated with words in general. I, I loved the wordplay of jokes and riddles, but I especially loved poetry. And there was something about the way the words rhymed and the cadence of the verse that just, it just made my soul sing. And at the height of my awakening to this aspect of my personality, I was in the fourth grade and my teacher had a poem up on the wall and every day I looked at it and I would turn the words over and over in my mind and I would let them roll off of my tongue silently as I was sitting there. We were supposed to be doing stuff and I was just sitting there just saying this poem quietly to myself and sometimes I played with the rhymes and I tried to make up like different melodies, turning the poem into a song and and I would contemplate what it was saying and what it was about. And unfortunately, that all sounds so great. <laughs> but unfortunately, it was just a silly little ditty about table manners. But I could still actually recite it to this day um, because of that. And, and as a result of that one poem, I would devour books by a particular popular children's poet who writes silly little verses. Um, but I say that kind of... To as, as what you said earlier, um, you know, kind of what we train our imagination to matters. Um, because imagine instead, if instead of that silly little poem, it had been verses by Christina Rossetti or Robert Lewis, Lewis Stevenson or, or even something more mature like Frost's Walking by the Woods on a Snowy Evening or Longfellow's Paul Revere's Ride. What if that had been up on the wall for me to ponder? And, you know, I know it was a public school, but I mean, even like the King James version of, of Psalms, like Psalm 1 or Psalm 8 or Psalm 23, I, I still love words. Um, and that, that silly poem is kind of what sparked my imagination. I began writing my own poetry around that time. But to this day, my best poems are still just clever, humorous little ditties um, because that's the type of poetry that my soul first fed on. And I'll never be a Wordsworth or a Keats or a Dickinson or a Seamus Haney. And of course, I'm not saying I would have been that either way. But I, I do think that those first exposures shaped my own expectations of what poetry was and what kind of poetry I was capable of crafting out of my own imagination. And, you know, I'm not saying, of course, that there's anything wrong with silly, clever little poems. But if that's all you're exposed to, as in my case, then, you know, your experience with poetry and your imagination as a result of that is pitifully limited and inadequate. And my imagination at that that age, you know, which was ripe with wonder at the power and the beauty of words was was squelched somewhat by what I was exposed to or 
really by what I was not exposed to. So I say that long story just to say this, give your child beautiful things to memorize, not just storybooks, but poetry books and, and encourage them to memorize them. Um, after all, in Greek mythology, the muses themselves, which are the myth- mythological sources of all creativity um, and cultivators of imagination, they were the daughters of the goddess of memory. Um, so memorize beautiful things to cultivate imagination. Do you have a favorite poet or anything like yeah, that? <laughs> yeah, I do. Let me ask you one thing quick. Um, sure. Were, do you think this kind of, even this desire in you as a child to, that you were interested in poetry, do you have thoughts about kind of how that developed or what, what created that desire in you to be interested I thought about that a lot um, because we really didn't have my, my parents were not readers or poets or anything that that I knew of. Um, my grandmother was a big reader. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I didn't see that modeled for me. Mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I've thought a lot about that as, as if it's just something that God created me to love. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know because mm-hmm. I. Um, I will say this, my father loves music, and I think his love for words and poetry came in the form of songs and song lyrics. Mm-hmm. And so he did, um, we, we spent a lot of time when I was young listening to music and talking about the lyrics. Um, I mean, a very small child, like mm-hmm. three, yeah. four, five years old. And so maybe some of that was formative for me in that that the way that it made me a lover of words and maybe some of it is just the way that God created me um, and the capacity that he has given me. We each have, like you just said, everyone is given the capacity for imagination and manifesting that in some way. And so maybe that's, that's just one of the ways that God has, has given me and desires for me to manifest that um, for his glory. I I don't know, but Mm -hmm. I know it's something I've loved words since for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, that's, I love that. Thank you for sharing that story. That's, I think yes. that's really awesome. Um, but yeah, you were asking about poets. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't really grow up, um, having that much of an interest in it, but I've become more interested as an adult and have really wanted to expose my kids and to learn myself too. Um, so some of the books that have really helped us, um, are the oh I'm losing oh the poetry for children it's a series of mm-hmm. books and that's what's really helped us kind of gain you know an um, an understanding and uh, just exposure to to several different poets they're they're rather short books with different um, kind of a, a maybe a sampling of different you know things that a poet has written and they're for children so there might be some of the more simple ones to understand but still have beautiful lyrical language and so anyway some of the ones that we've um read and memorized and talked about are henry wadsworth longfellow and there's one on shakespeare if you're looking for you know an introduction to shakespeare if you don't think you or your kids are ready to read a full play yet there'll be sections taken out um robert frost um emily dickinson our kids have really liked her poetry um and so we i think i've mentioned this before on the podcast we do uh, recitation night a couple times a year. So usually we spend pockets of each week, you know, we're really talking about these uh, poets and their work. And um, I think I had really never read much Shakespeare prior to in, before adulthood either. And so a book that has really helped my kids and I to understand it more is how to teach children, how to teach your children Shakespeare. 
by yes. Ludwig. Ken Ludwig. Ken yes. Ludwig. Okay. So good. Yes. Yeah, and I, I thought it would, ha- I knew I would be interested and I knew, you know, but I wasn't sure how my kids would respond to it, but they, I really saw in them this awakening of understanding that even mm-hmm. in like times where I just had them, um, do a recitation of Shakespeare versus in that book, he really takes you through the meaning of each verse. Mm-hmm. And I just saw their eyes kind of light up and, and then they became so much more excited about reading it and memorizing it. And when they really understood, this is what's, this is what's going on. And um, yeah. Right. And to, to the point that we're making here on about memorization is that is where Ludwig starts with Shakespeare. He, mm-hmm. he starts with memory and memorizing the verses with your children and how that kind of awakens that awareness of what Shakespeare's doing with language and the beauty of the words. And that really sparks imagination in, in your children. It helps you kind of understand the imagination behind Shakespeare too. I mean, the, the creative genius that he, that he was. So I, I highly recognize, I mean, I highly recommend that book for sure. Well, besides stories and words, um, how else can we cultivate imagination in our children? Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that we have tried to do in our family over the years is just to create space in our schedule. And that seems like such a thing, simple and obvious thing, doesn't it? But I think um, <laughs> I, felt, I felt for us that that was a little bit easier when they were really young, but I've had to try harder um, as they've gotten older and there's more things they're interested in and being involved in. But even still, I try to be as intentional as possible as not overscheduling and just giving space um, to be for the kids to be creative and to use their imagination. And I think when my kids come to me and say, um, probably more so on the weekends or late afternoon, you know, we have nothing to do. Um, I'll often just say, you know, just use your imagination. And we, we talk about it a lot and they're like, okay, mom, you know, and so they can just sit down in a huddle for a little bit and think of something. So often for my kids, what it looks like, so it looks like is they're usually acting out some kind of a story and um, sometimes they combine them and that's kind of fun and interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, my they, kids do that too. Yeah, like, wow, that's yeah. really creative how you sort of put those three stories together. Right. Um, <laughs> but they've gone through phases. I think they'll, they tend to be very intently focused on something for a while and then move on. But I think when they were young, we did, there was a lot of, you know, playing house and acting out what they were seeing me doing and my husband, you know, just their normal life. They were reacting, reenacting that and setting up their own school and their desks. And my girls love, my older girls love being the teacher and, and my younger ones are typically, uh, happy, willing students, not always, <laughs> but then they went through this phase where they re- we were reading a lot about World War II stories, so they acted out a lot of that, um, the prairie days when we were reading, you know, Laura Ingalls Wilder and Farmer Boy, um, Camping, Zoo, Harry Potter, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Little Women are just some of the things, but um, I think just sometimes them having nothing to do and... Um, you know, not not allowing screens um, yes. gives them an opportunity to just create. Yeah, it reminds me of that book by Peter Spire. Are you familiar with it? It's called Bored, Nothing to Do. I don't Have you seen so. that one before? No. He he's famous. His his books are. Um, He's, a, he's an artist, and so there are some of them I think may have may even be, and maybe this is one of them. I don't have it in front of me. Um, I, sh- I should have grabbed it, but um, 
some of them don't even are wordless or, or have very few words. He tells the story in the pictures and um, there's such beautiful, intricate illustrations, but almost comic in their um, presentation. And in this particular one, it's about these two brothers and it, it's called Bored Nothing to Do. And they're lamenting their boredom. And basically, you know, the mom does what you said, go do something, use your imagination. And they end up picking up all these different household items and making an airplane out of it and flying across. Wow. The, yeah. You know, I mean, of course it's, it's just, a, you know, a whimsical right. book about the possibility of imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it illustrates your point so beautifully and hysterically and, um, about what children are capable of when they are allowed the opportunity for boredom. Yes, it's good. You should check that one out. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Yeah, Yeah. I have had many kitchen items taken out due to this. And I always feel this great tension because I want to just, you know, they want, oh, mom, I have this idea to use, you know, your... uh, uh, the whisk and the spatula from this and right okay I have to keep a certain amount of things that they can't (laughs) take right exactly if I recall in this book they don't ask permission and they end up getting in a little bit of trouble Uh, at the end (laughs) (laughs) because of all the things that they took apart in order to um create the object of their imagination Mm -hmm. but still I think I think just letting children play is so key here I'm so often we have them overscheduled and over-supervised with so many organized sports and contrived play dates and camps and classes, and none of which are bad in moderation, of course, but mm-hmm. goodness, I mean, just we should leave them alone for a little yeah. bit. You know? <laughs> I mean, stay out of their business, stop hovering and stop helicopter parenting. And I think, I think we would be surprised at the imaginative ability that would emerge naturally from our children if we just allow them that freedom yeah. to just play. Absolutely. Yeah. Another yeah. thing I was going to mention is just having one of the things that, that they know that they can, our kids can always have access to is just, we have the, I just have a big hamper with dress up clothes. So different mm-hmm. costumes and some of the stuff that I had when I was a kid, which is fun. Just some things that my mom kept that now they use as like the prairie dress or whatever, but right. <laughs> yes. um, they know they can always get into that and kind of, you know, create different costumes with that. So I think that has been just a huge asset to helping their imagination or art supplies or whatever ways that you right. and the family know that your kids are inclined to be able to use yes. their imagination with. Right. I think, I think trying to invest in some of those more open-ended um, mm-hmm. supplies and toys and things like that that can be used for, for multiple scenarios. Um, I think that's just a really good way to invest. If we're going to invest money in toys um, instead of in, in one thing that can only be used in one way, um, you know, try to do, do things that are a little bit more open-ended, like you said, you know, um, dress-up clothes and art supplies and musical instruments and, and things of that nature. I think that really does help spark their creativity a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I've, I found yeah. that those are probably the only toys that they've continued to stay interested in. <laughs> Absolutely, they, yes. If something has, you know, you quickly come to an end with a particular toy, there doesn't seem to be as much long-term that's interest right. in it anyway. So I think another thing that we try to do is, is to, to encourage them to go outside. I mean, they can, you know, whittle sticks or use, we have, we have quite a few trees in our backyard, so they're able to, you know, make, uh, a tent out of sticks or, you know, things like that. I remember 
one day my two younger ones, I you know, I told them to you know find something to do outside, and I think they sat there for an hour just like trying to whittle one stick down. You know, they were <laughs> right. determined and fascinated by that. Um, but I also think I think sometimes. Um, you know, you might be thinking, well, I live in the middle of a huge city, so I, I can't do that. We don't have trees anywhere. We have a park maybe or, um, but I just want to encourage you wherever you live, if it's, you know, in a really urban area or suburbia or rural area that I think that, you know, what we've been talking about, that there's a way for you to encourage this in your kids. Um, mm-hmm. and I've lived very, you know, in, the heart of suburbia. We're still in suburbia, but we're just a little bit on the outskirts now and have a little bit more trees. But I found that if I've, as we're talking about that, um, giving them opportunities like space and things, uh, different, you know, supplies and dress up and just space that, that it doesn't matter so much that if you're giving them these things to help cultivate their imagination, you're reading them great stories that they can still be creative. When, when we lived right, um, in a very suburban cul-de-sac, you know, there was this just tiny little island is what they called it kind of in the middle. And they'd go out there and collect twigs and berries and pine cones and pretend they're camping. And so I think that they, they were, our, our kids were able to be creative even in the midst of a city. Absolutely. Yes, so, definitely. It makes me, I was thinking about a story and thinking about this about C.S. Lewis and his brother, Warney. Um, we listened to a, um, a book about his life last summer. And I was remembering that um, C.S. Lewis and Warney created this um, fictional world that they called Boxen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, they created the kind of, they had animal land and uh, they had uh this world where Jack's Jack and Warney's stories were kind of about India and they brought all these things together, animal land in India and uh-huh. this place that took, you know, sometime in the late 18th century. Um, but, and this is a time when influenza was really raging through the area. And so they're sort of forced to stay indoors that um, mm-hmm. we might kind of imagine maybe C.S. Lewis had this wild roaming free life because of what he was able to imagine and create later. But he really, he was inside. He did. You know, right. He did. Right. Yes. Um, and they were creating this land in this, this part of their house. Um, and he was reading, you know, Beatrix. Uh, he was influenced by Beatrix Potter's animals and, um, so anyway, I think that that's encouraging. We can create this no matter where we live, no matter what our environment is. Yes. I mean, nature itself is just such a, an endless a source of fascination and wonder. I mean, think about just gardening mm-hmm. and the wonder of a seed becoming flower or food. I mean, that's just impossible to even conceive of how that happens. And it's fascinating for a child to try to imagine how that seed turns into that tomato plant. And and those kinds of things can be done, like in container gardens and things like mm-hmm. that. So it, it doesn't have to be this big, huge, you know, vast garden. But, you know, I mean, a caterpillar making a cocoon, it, it turns itself into this soupy mess and then mm-hmm. emerges a butterfly somehow. I mean, how does that happen? And think about how many hours a child could just sit and watch a spider spinning its web and the beauty that's manifested in, in that utility. I, I keep, I've brought up Einstein. I keep bringing up Einstein, but I think he makes the point so well because he, he's talked about how he says he first began to wonder about the speed of light when he was a boy meandering about the sunny mountainsides of Italy. And so I think, you know, just in any capacity that we can have children outside and observing nature in any way is, um, is useful and, and beneficial to the cultivation of their imaginations. Yes, definitely. Um, Jamie, let's talk a little bit about what 
some of the challenges might be to doing this. We've talked about, you know, we, there's, we have a lot of ideas for how to create this, but what, um, what are some of the challenges, do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think there are a few. <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you already mentioned one. You, you mentioned one earlier. You hinted at it when you said screens. Yes. Yes. Um, you, yeah. Go ahead. You can talk about it. But I'll... No, no. I just, I just thought that 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 was um, that's a huge one in my house. I know it's a challenge um, because my children do want to to watch TV, and we don't do iPads in our house. Um, that's just a choice that our family has made. So we don't do iPads or video games or anything like that. But we we do allow them some access to, to TV on a limited basis. Um, but not a lot. And I'm still pretty particular about what I let them watch at this point just because they're so young. So I, I want to reiterate, I'm not totally against screens. And and I actually think that there are some movies that are just pure art and the embodiment of all we have been talking about today with um, imagination. But um, generally, I do think that screens tend to impede rather than c- encourage the development of the imagination, particularly for really young children. And um I think we ought to turn off our screens more often, not just because they directly thwart the imagination, but because I think they replace the time that the child would be otherwise using <laughs> their their imaginations. Um, they're watching TV instead of playing dress up or instead of running around outside. And so, you know, I screens are just a huge challenge for us, even though we try to be very cognizant of the amount of time. It's still a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. Sometimes yeah. I, when um, I've had people ask this question. I think sometimes the question is not always what do we give our kids to cultivate their imaginations, but sometimes what is it, you know, sometimes what do we not give them? And I think that what we don't give them sometimes is screens. And that's, that is the easiest thing I think in our society. It's, we always have our phones with that. You know, it's so easy to be in the doctor's office or anywhere and just hand them something. I think it takes a lot of um, for me, at least, it takes a lot of conscious um, intentionality to be prepared to have something else, you know, and to make it a habit to to do something else instead of that. Um, but I think for us, um, I can relate to what you're saying that I think um, our goals and just that, that we offer them a small amount of screen time, which it's funny, I used to just say like TV time, but now I realize that doesn't really apply. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what I actually just don't want to call it. Yeah, it, we, they don't really have any of those devices either. They just really, it's that they're allowed to watch a family, do a family movie night at the end right. of the week or something like that. Um, we don't really do much during the week, but um, it's, yeah, we've really tried to limit that. And I've, for, I've tried, and this is a little bit easier with my older kids to do this, but to not um, allow them to have them when they're really, really young. I think the mm-hmm. Academy of um, Pediatrics, I'm not sure exactly what their standard is now, I know, but when my oldest girls were young, it was that they recommended no screens um, before the age of three. And I think that's, you know, probably very uh, not, you know, what what the norm of our culture is now. But um, right, especially right. when they've been very young, I've really tried to do nothing or limited. Um, and if this is an area that you're kind of struggling with or trying to figure out what are we want our limits and our norms to be. I really enjoyed a book that I think I've maybe mentioned before called The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. And so this is a really short little book um, if you're trying to figure out, okay, I know this, this is an issue and I really want to do less screen time with our family, but I just don't know how to figure it out or what are, what are helpful limits. So he kind of goes through some practical things in there. Um, I also have found for our kids that 
they're in when they're bend seasons for whatever reason usually it's like an extended sickness i feel like for us if we have more sickness with some you know quite a few of us kids or my husband or i we just can't parent with intentionality the way I want right yes we do sort of let we do tend to do more TV time then but I found that um when we do that we we sort of have to we pay for it a little bit you undo (laughs) you have to undo what you did yes yes so it it tends like there's something in me that thinks it will make things more calm and it will be helpful and sometimes it's just what you have to do right right absolutely you know? sometimes we we are in survival mode and that yeah. that is the case yeah. but but yeah you but I agree of, with you yeah yeah, yeah to, I was just gonna say I agree with you even though like when I when I am in those seasons of just survival mode and I let them have access to more screens than I normally would have whenever I'm recovered from whatever it was that yeah. put us in the survival right. mode, I find I do have to work harder because to, to kind of undo that what was done. Um, and sometimes it's just in something as simple as um, attention span and behavior, you know, behavioral things and, um, and that kind of thing. They're, they're more whiny or they're more, you know, just, just mm-hmm. little things like that, that I, I recognize as a result of, of doing that. And, and I don't necessarily think, like I said, that it's, um, maybe I I won't get into whether or not they are actually literally doing damage to their brains. Um, but, but I will say that, um, I notice when my children are not having the opportunity to exercise their imaginations, um, it comes out behaviorally in other ways. Um, and so I, I just think it's good for our children to have those opportunities to play and use their imagination and develop their creativity and all of that. Um, and I think that screens can impede that somewhat. So yes, I agree. (laughs) Can you think of any other types of challenges, Jamie? I think, you know, we mentioned the society that we live in as it relates to screens, but I, I think sometimes simply the realities of the way we live in our society in general are a challenge. Um, we talk about letting kids go outside and, you know, leaving them alone, but we, we've watched the news. <laughs> the days of letting kids go outside for hours unsupervised are probably long gone for most people. And, you know, that those are, those are challenges to to what we've been talking about here. And I, I do think we can find ways around that. Like you talked about, um, if we get creative ourselves, but I think there are other challenges that are unique to us as Christians that affect the development of the imagination. Um, the way that society talks about such things as God and faith, and even, you know, the way that, that we perceive history and science, the way we are taught to read and understand literature these days. Um, I think all of these, so-called intellectual endeavors can undermine imagination, um, which is a shame because when we understand the nature of these things rightly, they actually fan the flame of imagination and not kill it. Um, But our society doesn't talk about these things rightly, (laughs) I think, a lot of the time. And and that's a real challenge for us as parents trying to cultivate imagination in our children. And there's a book on this that I love um, and recommend by Anthony Esselin. It's called 10, Thing, 10 Things to Destroy the Imagination of Your Child. And it deals with a lot of these, these thoughts. And it's written as a satire, kind of like um, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. And mm-hmm. some people had a hard time. I, I've, ha- I've heard some complaints about that, you know, they had a hard time with that start sarcastic tone, but I personally love the delivery and the information within is just is so valuable and eye-opening the way that he um, explains 
what our culture in general is doing to the imagination of our children and how we as parents can um, kind of um, shore, shore them up against that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I really thought that book was very enlightening as well. So we'll put a link to it in the show notes if any of you wanna, um, want to, to find that book. I highly recommend it too. And just recently, I had the opportunity to be at a conference where Anthony Esselin was speaking. So it was really neat to get to hear, to hear him. And um, he was talking a lot about imagination, of course. And he also gave a talk about... Um, Dickens and the Christmas Carol as a meditation on the incarnation and the new birth. And he talked about the tale of two cities as a meditation of Easter and the new birth and just made a lot of connections. So some of those things I had never thought about when reading those books. So um, just as an encouragement, if you, if you enjoy Dickens, that that might be some new thoughts, you know, to reflect on as you're reading, as you're reading those books. So any other thoughts, Jamie? Um, no, I think, I think the, the last thing I want to say is that in, in order for children to exercise imagination, their imaginations do have to be cultivated. Um, they have to be filled. Um, Andrew Kern, who's one of my education and, well, I'll just say one of my just general life mentors, um, he talks about how we are images. We are created in the image of God and therefore we are designed literally to mirror our creator. And, and that doesn't negate the individuality of each person, but we are created to reflect an image by definition from the actual manner of our creation, human beings imitate. And, you know, even Solomon, you know, this is biblical. Even Solomon said there is nothing new under the sun. Um, so, my question and my challenge, I guess, to our listeners is what do you want your children to imitate? If you want them to be imaginative beings, unique, creative beings, then fill their minds with things worth imitating, uh, things that spark their curiosity and wonder, like like great stories and nature and art and music, and and you'll see their imaginations flourish as as they participate in what Tolkien called subcreate, which is merely just us imitating the creativity of our father, the creator, um, and and in doing so. We participate. He gives us this glorious privilege of participating in the redemptive process uh, by bringing his kingdom to bear on earth. And, and that's what we're here for after all. And so that, that is why imagination matters. Yeah, that's so great, Jamie. And I think as we're, you know, thinking about this for our children, that we know our, as parents or as teachers, our kids are always imitating us. Mm-hmm. Right? So right. if we, you know, if we, so part of this is, is us thinking about what do we want to imitate? Um, what do, right. what do we want? What are we contemplating? What are we filling our minds with? Um, they're, they're watching that they're hearing that come out of us. And so I right. think it's, you know, if we can make sure we're continue keeping that connection that, that we're not just pouring all of these thoughts and help, you know, helping them, but that ultimately they're probably likely going to copy a lot of what we're doing. And so, mm-hmm. um, but we can be encouraged. I, I think that um, as we continue to seek the Lord and wherever we, you know, the Lord is with us, wherever we are in that process of growing and learning, that our kids will see us learning and growing and feeding ourselves, um, hopefully with, with lots of good things. So, yes. Well, this has been a great conversation, Jamie. Um, I really enjoy talking about this. And uh, we'll link to all the 
the books that we've mentioned in the show notes. Um, before we go, I just wanted to mention The Life-Giving Parent, um, a new book that is out by Clay and Sally Clarkson. I'm sure many of you have heard of it, but if you haven't, we'd love for you to go to any of the sites where books are sold and uh, look that up and order it. Um, I'm in the process of reading it now. and It's so great. I think one of the main messages that has really hit me is that it's not our our vision and our mission with our kids is not just about raising Christian kids or finding the right uh, environments or right uh, programs or things to put them into, but it's really about helping cultivate uh, their desire um, for Christ in their own lives. And so we as parents can, can cultivate that in the home, that we want them to connect to Christ and to follow Him and and so much of what we do in the home contributes to that. So it's really great. There's so much theological richness in it. So I really encourage you to go out and buy that. And then um, just wanted to remind everyone that Jamie and I contribute to the Life with Sally membership that you can find on um, sallyclarkson.com. And uh, we are doing a new author study every month, either in podcast form or in writing. And you can find some more of Jamie and I's work there, along with so many other wonderful things. There's Bible studies and art studies and uh, recipes and um, a whole host of other things. If you're interested in finding out more about the membership, you can go to lifewithsally.com. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to check out our website at storyform.com for show notes and like us on our Storyform Facebook page and follow us at Storyformed Home on Instagram. Please rate us on iTunes and leave a comment so that others can find out about us too. May you and your family be Storyformed. Storyformed.